Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, November 9th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. How President-elect Biden plans to combat the coronavirus. Plus, why Twitter has stopped labeling many misleading tweets. But first, who will have power in the Biden administration is today's one big thing. It's been a whole 54 hours since the election was called for president-elect Joe Biden, which means the pressure is already on for him to name his cabinet appointees. And that comes from both moderates who supported him in the election and from the left to acknowledge the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Hans Nichols has been covering the Biden campaign for Axios. Hans, good morning. I wonder if we can start with what Joe Biden is doing as we're thinking about this battle for his cabinet confirmations. Where are the lines being drawn? Look, the cabinet is going to be not the first battlefield, but the second. And I say not the first because the first is going to be inside the White House. And who gets what inside the White House and where I see the process is that they're figuring out White House staff first. And then later on, they're going to figure out the cabinet. Even though these are in tandem, they're going to figure out the cabinet. And we won't have announcements on that maybe until December. The bigger question about the cabinet isn't the makeup. It's will the cabinet have any power or will there be this continuing trend of centering power in the White House? At the end of the day, a lot of the serious decisions are made inside the White House. And so we'll see to what extent power is devolved to the cabinet as opposed to inside the West Wing. So it sounds like a lot of it depends on Biden's leadership style, right? So I wonder, what's your observation about how he leads? Deliberative would be one word. I mean, he's still a senator. And I think that's what we haven't quite gotten our minds around. Senators like to talk, but they also like to listen. And they have a great deal of confidence in their ability to get legislation across the line. And you look at Biden, he's a creature of the Senate. The question is, has the Senate changed? And is deliberation and consensus and cajoling and horse trading, does that still exist? So when we're thinking of the AOCs and the Bernie Sanders of the world, how much of the pressure on Joe Biden is going to be public versus private and how real is it? Oh, it's a great question. I think it'll be both. And I get to use a line that uh, I've wanted to use for a while. We don't know if their bark is going to be worse than their bite. The other question is, if he doesn't have the Senate, he's got a perfect excuse. Mitch McConnell blocks and tackles for him. It's like a McConnell force field. And so Biden can say, sorry, there's no way I can, you know, have these progressives in my cabinet because they can't get Senate confirmed. Okay, so Hans, amid all of this, we should acknowledge that President Trump is not conceding the election and is moving forward with trying to litigate the results. How much does that factor into the energy this president-elect Biden's transition team is facing? Well, it does because the transition can have all the energy in the world. But until they get to go inside the agencies and look at all the books and try to figure out what's happened, they're somewhat hampered. They're not allowed to go in until the GSA declares victory for Biden. And so far, the GSA hasn't done that. So GSA, the General Services Administration, when would that happen? Unclear. The head of the GSA is a political appointee. So there may be a way for the Trump administration, if they totally let litigation get in the way of a smooth transition, to slow Biden down. Hans Nichols covers President-elect Joe Biden for Axios. Hans, thank you. Thanks for having me. We'll be back in 15 seconds with Biden's plans to combat the pandemic. Welcome back to Axios Today. 
We're expecting that today we're going to hear from President-elect Biden about a COVID-19 task force that he will be naming. Caitlin Owens covers healthcare for Axios. Hey, Caitlin, what do we know about this 12-member task force that Joe Biden has been talking about, not just all weekend, but he's been talking about this on the campaign trail? Biden has talked about prioritizing science, prioritizing the experts, making sure people who are well-versed in public health are in charge of the response, as opposed to political people or people whose expertises are not public health. I think the biggest takeaway from this task force is it's a strong signal that Biden will take this very seriously. It's not as important who these people are, such as what their expertise is, and that will be different from what we've seen so far. Caitlin, President Trump has faced a lot of criticism for how he's handled this pandemic. I wonder what that tells you about how Biden hopes to avoid making the same mistakes. Biden is saying that he is going to do basically everything that the experts have recommended. But the problem is that I think that at this point in the pandemic, attitudes about it are pretty baked in. I think that's going to be the most challenging part of the pandemic response for Biden is just changing people's attitudes about it. Because you can go up there and talk all you want about wearing masks and staying home and offering guidance for when schools and businesses should be open or closed. But when you have state and local leaders that are resistant to that guidance, and when you have people that still are refusing to wear masks, there's only so much you can do. To that point, where are we at right now with the pandemic? How would you describe this phase that we're in? I mean, a really terrible place. As of Saturday, it was the fourth straight day in a row of more than 100,000 cases being reported. And that's probably a fraction of the true number of cases. And then the weather's only going to get colder. People are going to be indoors more. It's the holiday season, so they're going to be traveling. So I think that the next few months are going to be brutal. And even come Inauguration Day, I mean, we could get to unthinkable places even before Biden takes office. Caitlin Owens is a healthcare reporter for Axios. For those of you on Twitter, last week, some of President Trump's tweets were grayed out. That's because of strict rules Twitter had in place. Now that the election has been called, Twitter has loosened up some of those rules. Ashley Gold covers technology for Axios. Ashley, can you tell us what these changes were before and what they are now? So when Trump had been spreading misinformation about the election, when we were still in the throes of all the counting and we did not have a definitive result yet, Twitter took very aggressive action on those tweets, graded them out, made them harder to share and reduced their distribution. Now that the election has been called, if he tweets something that isn't true, they still add a label that says that the information is disputed, but it is no longer grayed out. It is no longer harder to share. They explained this as being in line with their elections-related policy, that once the election was called, they would no longer apply these aggressive warnings about misinforming tweets on the outcome. So this is what they've been planning all along. Okay, so we've got three months until the inauguration, Ashley. Where do you think this leaves us with spreading misinformation, disinformation on platforms? It leaves us in a pretty weak position. You can go online and you can see that President Trump's most recent tweets are indeed labeled, but it doesn't prevent you from retweeting it or taking a screenshot of it. When they take those extra steps to make the tweet completely non-visible, that's when it's really harder to share. Not that you can't, but it is a little harder. Ashley Gold is a tech reporter for Axios. While President Trump's voters gathered in places like Phoenix, Raleigh, and Harrisburg to protest over the weekend, many of the country's biggest cities turned into all-day parties on Saturday for Joe Biden. I ventured down to Black Lives Matter Plaza here in D.C., where a lot of the action was. 
As you can hear, there were thousands of people in a very partying mood. Some had pots and pans they were banging. Other people were drinking from bottles of champagne. And there were lots of homemade signs and spontaneous dancing. And many families. Yeah, it's my daughter, yeah. I was at the Women's March with her when she was one. Four years later, I said, if this happens, I'm going to bring her so that she can witness this. And sure enough, she has witnessed it. And then there was the Agnes family. Bianca is originally from Ecuador. Alejandro is Bolivian. And they live in a D.C. suburb with their kids, Ian and Jaden, who are 11 and 8. Did you guys want to come out here, or did your parents want to come out here? All of us wanted to come out. Why did you want to come out here? Because we support Joe Biden, and we want to celebrate, and we support Black Lives Matter. Bianca told me finding out Biden won was a huge moment for her. Like, for me, it's really, really big, because I feel accepted again in this country. The celebration started early in the day and went late into the night. That's all we've got for you today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or find me on Twitter. And if you'd like more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast, Axios Recap. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.